Welcome to Devotions in the Deep End. I'm Cam Buchanan, and this is a carefully crafted devotional journey through the New Testament. Let's venture into deeper water as we consider what it means to follow Jesus in the world we live in now. Welcome back to Devotions in the Deep End. Our passage for this episode is Luke chapter 14, verses 15 to 24. I'm going to read it shortly, but since this is the end point of a specific section of teaching, I think it's worth a quick recap to set the scene for the crescendo. Following the timeline in Luke's account, here's what appears to have taken place in a local Pharisee's home in the space of one day. First, with Jesus being under scrutiny, a man who has some sort of abnormal swelling going on is introduced to the narrative. The condition is actually named as dropsy in the older translations, something we might call oedema today, essentially abnormal fluid building up in the body. This condition in first century literature sometimes served as a metaphor for avarice, for insatiable greed and the unhealthy desire to gain and hoard wealth. His place in the narrative is actually quite telling, given Jesus has spoken into that very thing recently and will again. We can also see that there seems to be no reason for him to be in attendance other than to draw Jesus into a response. We can conclude this since he quickly leaves after his healing. As a result, some scholars believe he was planted there as part of the scrutiny that was in place. If that's the case, it's quite unhealthy thinking from the Pharisees here that they would violate their own sacred day and use one of their own loyal followers for their own gain. Regardless of why he is there, Jesus proceeds to heal the man anyway using the same teaching as other Sabbath days to make his point. Anyone with an ounce of care for another would immediately come to the aid of anyone, a child, or even pull an ox to safety when they needed that help, regardless of the day it occurred. So, why make a human suffer another day of unnecessary illness just to keep a rule of piety when God in the flesh is present and ready to heal? Whose rules were they following? Their own in the name of religion, or God's in the name of mercy and grace? Following this event, Jesus presents some additional lessons based on what he is seeing taking place in the home in which he is a guest, and these are the ones of the previous two episodes. They're trying awfully hard to appear devout and religious, but there is a distinct lack of humility and an absence of justice and mercy, which Jesus addresses. With all that going on, the end of this Sabbath day meal setting plays out like this in our passage. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still, another said, I have just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. So here is the crescendo of this section of Sabbath day teaching. 
a parable about a host and a banquet, and in the words of Jesus, a great or a mighty big one. He's taken a significant time to plan this thing out and has worked hard on an invite list. He's gotten the word out in a way where nobody is left without notice, and he has made it clear that anyone attending is going to be looked after well. And it would appear that the invitations are well received. The fact that he went ahead with the event and put all the food on and confidently sends messengers to gather the responding crowd together indicates that the host had been informed of a good crowd planning to attend. But despite a bunch of people promising attendance, a deluge of last-minute cancellations begin pouring in. And the excuses are annoyingly trivial. Who buys a field without seeing it? Who spends significant amounts of money on oxen without having any real idea of their capacity? Or who at the last minute sneaks away from an evening banquet to put five oxen to work in a field? And who suddenly eloped? Well, nobody really. That was just not the honourable thing to do. And in reality, the distance of time from invite to eating would have been at relatively short notice. Hardly enough time to run away with the newfound love of your life, if you know what I mean. The point is, despite the invitations being received well, and despite statements indicating good intentions, when the time came to be in attendance, all these invitees wanted to be anywhere and doing anything else but what and where they said they would be. This, of course, angers the host because none of those closest to him, the ones he prioritised by giving them invites in the first place, none of these cared enough to make good on what they committed to do. Now, it's important to stop and consider something important here. This parable came about because someone at the table Jesus was on got a little bit too presumptuous for his liking. The passage actually opens with a sudden and perhaps jubilant statement from one of those gathered. Blessed is the one who eats at the feast in the kingdom of God. In a room where everyone is suspicious of the teacher. In the wake of the teachings of Jesus rebuking pride and calling out for mercy and humility, Someone utters this blessing, indicating their full conviction that they were going to be part of that feast. But the parable in response suggests that this might be a little misguided. This table of Pharisees were full of avarice and greed. They were actively watching, waiting and plotting Jesus' demise, and even using their community as plants in order to trip him up. They didn't have a shred of humility about them, and their attitude on their most sacred day showed all of this to be true. Yet, they were still presuming to be kingdom and banquet bound, simply because of what they were born into. But the reality is that these were sadly the invited guests in the parable. These were the ones who said they were going to show up. And this statement at the table shows that they planned to do so. But the silliest and most trivial of things were going to rob them of that opportunity. Simple things like pride and greed. Simple things like worldly thinking. Simple things which would choke God out of their personal picture. Simple things which fed their conveniences rather than their convictions. The simple things and temporal things which would cost them that place at the kingdom table. While the host is clearly upset with those he invited, he is not being distracted from his plans to throw the party anyway. But now he gives a new set of instructions to his servants. Go to the streets and alleys and invite everyone I haven't extended an invitation to. This is everyone who were outside his current circle of friends. The streets were the greater public. The alleys were where the riffraff hung out. The implication here is that the tax collectors and the sinners that Jesus hung with would see the kingdom, while Pharisees and priests could well miss out due to their unbelief. 
and we'll be joining a new table with those guys in a few episodes' time. And when this was done and more room was discovered, the invitation extended even beyond Judaism. The roads and country lanes and highways speak of the traders and the passers-by, what we might refer to as the Gentile world around them. Even some of those would see the kingdom, while those whose religious expression was nothing more than outward show would miss out altogether. So let's reflect on the last few episodes together as they form one body of teaching at a meal table. There are some key lessons for us all to take away here. And the first one is actually one that I believe exists as a thread through all of Jesus' teachings. That is, to live now in a way that reflects how we will live in eternity. In eternity, a system of religion will be completely done away with, and perfect love and peace will reign forever. A system of religion doesn't always allow for mess among believers, but Jesus makes room for that in order to bring healing. Again, because in eternity... Everything is whole and reconciled. As we read about this sacred day where God was the focus, it is quite ironic that on at least three occasions, God in the flesh turned up in healing power, but is rejected for messing with the things they believed would make them ready for their God. In eternity, there will be a host waiting for us with open arms. The Jewish mindset clearly anticipated a banquet, and the idea of a wedding feast is pointed to in Revelation chapter 19, so there is some shared future outlook in play here. That host has friends to invite, but is also going to the streets and the alleys and the highways and the byways in order to ensure that his banquet hall is filled, and the host will be humble right up to death on a cross, in their setting the lowest seat in all of life in order to bring about the healing of the nations and the ultimate Sabbath rest for all humankind. And because this is what's anticipated, it should come as no surprise that he calls us to follow him in similar ways. He calls us to take the lowest seats now. He calls us to throw radical parties and extend hospitality to more than our friends. He calls us to facilitate healing And he calls us to live out a faith that has power and substance, to answer the invitation to follow, to leave our excuses at the door, and live in readiness to turn up when all is ready and the eternal banquet is set. Thanks for tuning in. To stay in touch, like our Devotions in the Deep End Facebook page and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, be sure to put up a rating and even a comment if your platform allows for it, as this will help others know what to expect. I look forward to catching up next time.